Um, we've been going through the series telling different parables, kind of looking at a different slice of what that is. And today we're going to look at a parable that has to do with work, with work, with job descriptions, actually. Um, so I thought I'd ask you all a question. Have you ever had a job that turned out different than the job description? Raise your hands, nice and, nice and proud. Have you ever, yeah, right? Like, it, it's so important. It's so important. A good job description lines up with things that you're actually going to do. You know, it's just not just duties as assigned and kind of have two bullet points there, but things that you're actually responsible for. And it outlines accurate expectations. And that goes whether or not your boss is present, right? That you have expectations. It's not just like you're the only doing them when your boss is present looking over your shoulder, but it's regardless of that. It's what you're expected to do. And so I was thinking about this, and um, so I asked a couple of friends of mine, actually quite a few, um, and some among us here today, um, a, a kind of sample of job descriptions. I asked folks to kind of give me a one-sentence job description of what they do. So you'll kind of get the hang of it. I'm going to see if you can figure out what some of these are, and I'll share with you what they are if we can't get it. So this person says, my job is to keep you in your house. What do they do? They are a mortgage service compliance examiner. There is such a thing. Yes, their job is to keep you in your house. This person says, my job is to know more than my boss so I can keep her out of trouble. That's Becca, our church executive <laughs> office administrator. Um, uh, this person says, my job is to fight people's battles for them. A lawyer, attorney, yep, got it, got it. My job is to wrangle children while trying not to tie them to a tree. Preschool teacher, it could probably be all teachers, right? You're getting ready for that. So my job is, if nothing amiss, that is good. Unintentional sinking or exploding, bad. A naval engineer, right? You know, when things exploding or sinking, right? Um, this person says, I, my job is to pay, to, uh, I pay to listen to someone talk for an hour. A student. Oh, they pay for that, right? You pay for that maybe um, for col in college. My job is to listen to people's life story and then take their money. This one's good. A bank teller. Get it? Isn't that good? Yeah. Um, this person says, my job is to marry multiple women that ask me to. A minister. <laughs> anyway, my job is to civilize the next generation. Stay at home mom. Yes. My job is to cut people. Hairstylist. Yes. My person, this person says, I do all the work and the person in an oversized coat gets all the credit. A nurse. My job is to deal with people's stuff all day. Actually, C-R-A-P, crap. My job is to deal with people's crap all day. The water or wastewater operator. <laughs> and last but not least, my job is to do what I'm told and be quiet about it. A retiree. 
There you go. So, so you, you know, we think about these things, you know, maybe you are working in a job, maybe you worked in a job in the past, whatever it may be, um, and usually have one of those kind of descriptions. Maybe it's not as short and sweet as that. But, um, but then if we're followers of Jesus, and that's kind of the plane that we're talking about today, is if we're followers of Jesus, we actually have a second job description. A job description on top of those job descriptions, those kind of workplace descriptions. It's not a second job or more duties to add to your first job, but it's basically a second description of a description of how Jesus wants us to make our lives and our work matter. And this goes for whether you are in the workplace or workforce or if you're a stay-at-home parent or whether you're retired too, that Jesus gives us a description of how Jesus wants us to have our lives and our work matter eternally. And so Jesus tells us this parable in Matthew 25. And uh, Matthew 25 is the same chapter from which we read a previous parable on the bridesmaids, the story of the bridesmaids, and we talked about our preparation and being ready, being expectant with that. And so this is at the end of Jesus's earthly ministry. Jesus is about to leave his disciples soon, and um, Jesus is telling this parable to describe kind of that, the situation of life in between his first coming and second coming, the place that we find ourselves, right? Jesus is telling this parable about the unevenness and the unfairness of life. That, that what do we do? What is our job in the midst of Because we would all agree at some point, right, that life is not fair. That there's things, that the bad things that happen to good people, good things that happen to bad people. And so Jesus kind of characterizes this um, in a setting where he shares the story of a boss that kind of leaves his workers and sees what they do in the meantime. And, and I don't know about you, but if your boss told you they were leaving, what would be your reaction? You know, some would be like jumping up for joy, right? You'd be like super, super happy. Others be very, very sad, maybe somewhere in the middle. But Jesus is telling us this parable. And the first thing that he shows us in this story is, is that it's important when we want our work and our lives to matter eternally, description goes that we want to embrace what we have. We need to start off embracing what we have. So Jesus starts off like this, Matthew 25, 14 to 18. This is found in your worship guides too, if you want to follow along. Um, he says, For it is if, as if a man going on a journey summoned his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two. To another, one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and what did he do? He dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So let's just pause here. So do you see opportunities that God has given with what you have? Do we see the opportunities of starting with what we have, what God has given us. So the meaning of talents, and maybe you've heard this parable preached on before in a Bible study or that kind of thing. Sometimes uh, talents are preached as kind of a symbol of natural gifts, 
like the gifts that we have. Like we said, our gifts and talents. Like, you know, are you a talented artist? Are you a, a talented fixer-upper? Like, what are your gifts? What are your talents? But that's not actually the point. That was not actually the original intention here. And so in a previous parable, we talked about a, the value of a, of a coin, right? That was called a denarius that kind of had a, had a symbol on it of um, one of the emperors. And it was known as the, a day's wage. That's what a denarius was. That if you worked a full day, boom, you got a denarius. Well, a talent actually represents half a lifetime's wages. Half a lifetime. This is not anything like a denarius. This is half a lifetime. So think about like what your income is, what you earn, what, whatever that is. Like think about half of that. That's what one talent represented. And the master is basically handing out the value of multiple lifetimes worth of work valuable, valuable uh, things here. So uh, he's offering the multiple lifetimes worth of work here. And he trusts these guys with his talents. He trusts them. He entrusts them. But he trusts them. And so talents are really representative of the opportunities that God gives that he doesn't have to give, but he does so out of grace. It's nothing that any of these guys did to deserve, but it's out of grace. And so Jesus is using this illustration of how we see opportunities when serving an imperfect earthly master. So in the story, the master's not God. The master's not God. This parable is actually about us about the servants, about the followers. Most of the time in the parables, they're usually communicating one of those two. We kind of see, okay, that's God or that's, that's us. This is an us parable. This is not characterizing God as the master, but basically saying in a, if an imperfect earthly master trusts these guys and offers his trust and offers these opportunities, how much more does our heavenly father offer us? And so we, we need to embrace what we have, not comparing what we don't have. Asking how can we uniquely use what we have, five talents, two talents, whatever it may be, for God's kingdom. Because that's what the first two guys decide to do, right? They, they use it. They, they see an opportunity to do something with what they have, regardless of whether one had more or one had less. And I think that speaks to us, that, that there's always an opportunity to do something with what we have. There's always an opportunity. Even in the most bleakest of situations, even when it seems impossible or hopeless. I saw this week a picture, a throwback to 1937, of, it uh, looks like they're zip lining, right? They're not, they're going to school. 1937, in Italy, the teacher would actually take her students across the river, because they didn't build a bridge or anything, across the river to where the schoolhouse was located. It's amazing, right? When there's a problem, when there's something that gets in the way or seems impossible or hopeless, it's possible to see that as an opportunity, as an opportunity to overcome, as an opportunity to do something with, you know, I mean, I would guess it that probably the people in this picture did not look forward to this ride every day. Uh, maybe they did. Maybe the children enjoyed it. I'm not sure. Maybe the teacher did too. But, but I would say that, that there are those situations that, that we're faced to do something regardless of what stands in our way. But like the servants, we have an opportunity for different responses. 
Different responses. We see the five talent and the two talent guys. What do they do? What is their response? They get right to work. They're enthusiastic. You know, it's kind of like their stock value, right? They didn't have stocks in that day and time, but their stock value increased like 200% at this point. But the one talent man, what does he do? Gets his shovel out, buries it in his backyard. See, we have to understand though, we sometimes can get on the, in this story, this character of this one talent man, but the first century world had no FDIC insurance that the safest thing to do with your money was to bury it, was to put it in the ground, someplace safe that you knew where it was going to be. So he didn't do a bad thing. He didn't do a sinful thing. He just did nothing. He did absolutely nothing. And I think for some of us, that, that can be our story. It's not that we're doing anything bad or we're doing anything immoral in that sense, but we're afraid to do anything. We're afraid of anything uncertain, anything that is not safe. But Jesus says, there's more to your job description than that, that you've been entrusted, you've been given things. So my question to you is, what do you have right now that you need to embrace? What do you have right now that you need to embrace? You know, what if you saw your work, even if you hate it, even if you don't like the people you're with? What if you saw your work or the place that you find yourself, your neighborhood, the situation? What if you saw that as more than projects, but as an opportunity to extend God's grace and to show his love? What would that look like? What do you have? Even if you didn't want it, even if it's a river to cross, what do you have that you need to start embracing? Because the second piece that comes with that is to embrace the responsibility that comes with it. So we start out with embracing what we have, but then there's that, this responsibility, and I think that's seen in this next part of the story. Because, believe it or not, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Woo, okay, he's back, right? And the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing Five more talents, wow, right? Saying, master, you handed me over to me five talents. See, I've made five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and trustworthy servant. You've been trustworthy in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. And then, then the one with the two talents, he also came forward saying, master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I've made two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and trustworthy servant. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. See, what Jesus is saying here is that no matter five or two talents, both decide to take responsibility for it. Both decide to do something. That it's a decision that we make to seize the opportunity in front of us. To not only seize it, but to be fruitful with it. Uh, it kind of reminds me of a story. Um, when I was about seven or eight years old um, growing up, I loved going to my brother's baseball games. And he was playing baseball. He's two years older than me. And um, it wasn't so much for the baseball game as it was for the snack bar. Right? You kids, you know this. And it was a snack bar because uh, in order to keep me busy, my parents would give me a little bit of change. I'd go to the snack bar. And at the snack bar, they had Jolly Ranchers. Good Jolly Ranchers, all the flavors, especially the green apple and the cherry, two faves right here. So 
They had the Jolly Ranchers, and the Jolly Ranchers were uh, five cents a piece. Five cents a piece to buy. So just with a little bit of change, I could have a whole bunch of Jolly Ranchers. And my parents would give me maybe like 50 cents or so, and I would go and harvest how many Jolly Ranchers? Do the math. Ten, right, good. Get the, get the school back to school, right? We're thinking that. We're back to school. But um, ten Jolly Ranchers, and I would bring them back to the stands, but guess what? I would not eat them. Mm, I would not eat them. Instead, I'd keep them in my pockets, and when I got home, I would take them to my brother because, you see, I was not just a caring sister. We had a black market Jolly Rancher business going on on the school bus in the morning. And we would sell those Jolly Ranchers for 10 cents a piece to hungry children, especially after school. And we ended up doubling our money every single time, and we bought more, or I bought more, since I was a supplier, um, every game until somebody's parents ratted us out, and our business was ended. But, but it's funny, because I look back on that, though, and, and I see, though, you know, yeah, you know, maybe it wasn't good to, like, you know, rob children of their hard-earned money, whatever. Um, but, but to see that, that, to see value and potential in something, when you see an opportunity, sometimes you can't but help to want to advance it. You know, think about when we're excited about something, we'll think of any way to make that possible. You know, maybe for you and your kids, you know, you've wanted an opportunity for your children and you worked a second job or you bent over backwards. Maybe it was a certain team to be on or a school opportunity, whatever it was. We can't but want to help to advance it, that, that we take responsibility for it on ourselves. And so, like I said before, in this parable, once again, the main point is not about God. God is not the master. This is about us as the servants that there's responsibilities that when we enter into God's kingdom, that we receive that through grace. And that's an amazing thing. But there are responsibilities that come with living in grace. There's responsibilities to being a part of a family. There's responsibilities to be stewards of the kingdom of God. And we notice in the story, though, that there's a reward there is a reward that, that these servants are given different talents, but they're given an equal opportunity and they're given the same reward. You notice that? The master says the same thing to both servants, the same promotion. And the reward, what is the reward? It's not to be released from responsibility, but it's what? To be given more. That when you're trustworthy with the little things, that God often offers more. Jesus is saying, you know, if your boss on earth who is bent on a prophet gives a reward like that, he's saying, how much more would a loving God give? But have we taken responsibility? Have we taken responsibility for what we've been given? Because we see the, the difference here when we look to the third servant. The third sermon, because this is not the end of the story. The story could have ended there, the five and the two, but it doesn't. Because what comes next is a great example of first century whining. First century whining. And so listen closely to the explanation of the third servant and how subtly, subtly he blames his master. See, this is what irresponsible people do. There's that sense of blame here. 
So listen, listen to his explanation, because here he comes, ready? Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I got it. I, I knew you were a harsh man. Who says that to their boss, by the way? Don't do that. Um, I knew you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here. You have what is yours. But his master replied, he said, you're wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And on my return, I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the 10 talents. What? Right? Who does that? For all those who have, more will be given. And they'll have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ugh, right? Like, man, once again, the master here is not God. This is, the earth, this is a comparison between if an earthly master does this, God is more gracious. God is more honest. God is more trustworthy. But I think with the point that Jesus is getting here is that we need to embrace the risk and avoid regret. We need to embrace that risk and avoid regret. Because I don't know about you, but nobody ever strives to be like the third servant. I have yet to meet someone who said, yes, I want to be the one talent dude and everything he's about. And the word wicked that's in the scripture there, it's often translated worthless as well. And I think that that's better. Um, but, but he basically does the easiest thing. He does the easiest thing to do. And then what does he do? He blames his master to say, well, you didn't do the work. You didn't sow. You know, I was doing the stuff and I was being safe and here you go. But we do very similar things, right? We find excuses to avoid that. You know, we tell our things like, you know, maybe you enter a job and you're like, you know, I won't be here very long or they won't be here very long or maybe a situation in, in your family or at home and you're like, ah, oh, this doesn't matter. I don't want to make any effort here. You know, I don't want anybody to be mad at me. So, so we fear what we can lose. We fear what we can lose, whether it's money or pride or face or relationship or harmony and we do nothing at all. It, it's kind of like if you've ever had a, a grandparent or maybe visited someone's house, um, usually I think probably like 1980s-ish or so, probably a little bit earlier. Um, a lot of times people bought furniture and then what did they put on the nice furniture? They, what did they wrap it with? Plastic, right? And you remember like sitting on that after like super hot day and you come in wearing shorts and you sit down and then it's like squeak, squeak, right? You're like, you get, you get stuck to it. But what's, but you think about that, like, what's the good of that, right? Like, yeah, it does keep the furniture safe, but isn't furniture meant to be used? It's, it's very similar to us. Why would we remain safe for what? Jesus' point is this. Everybody gets an uneven amount of opportunity, but everybody gets held accountable for what they do with it. And an uneven amount of opportunity, it's actually not even ours. It's on loan. It's on loan to us from our Heavenly Father. And our responsibility is to figure out how do we leverage what we have, where we are, to its maximum. 
And we can trust that we can leave the outcome to him. If we don't, we're going to regret it. We're going to regret it because this guy who has an incredible opportunity, what does he do? He realizes he's blown it. He blames his boss. He's thrown out to the place that the weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's basically a place of anger and frustration. Have you ever been in that situation that you've been like, oh, right? Your teeth are like gritted there. Like that's the place. And then the parable is over. See, playing it safe, friends, turns out to be the, turns out to be the most unsafe thing to do. See, feeling when we haven't taken responsibility is that weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a missed opportunity, and it goes away. But the tendency, I think, for us, when we look around, when we go on Facebook, when we see different people's lives and stories, we look around at everyone else, at what they have, or what we would like to have, or where we'd like to be in life when you're age 40, 60, 80, whatever it is. You'd like to be in that place and we're not. And sometimes we make excuses for what we will or won't do. And all of us know some five talent people, and many of us hate them. We hate them because it seems like everything is going well and they're talented and they have everything that they need. But the warning here is if those five bag or five talent people aren't careful, they'll take what they have for granted and not use it. And for one talent people, maybe you're a one talent person who has had a very hard life, been through a lot, feels like I don't have a lot going for me compared to them, right, to everyone else. And then there's some of us that are in between, many of us that are in between, somewhere in the middle. But the question, regardless of being a five-talent person or a one, is what are we going to do with what we have? And your job is to use what you have where you are. What you have where you are. Whatever your health situation is, whatever your job situation is, your job description at your workplace, whatever neighborhood that you find yourself I like to say that my Perry County version of this statement is use what you got where you're at. <laughs> use what you got where you're at. See, the kingdom of God involves taking risks and with the opportunities God's given us. But will we? Will we choose that adventure? Will we choose that step of faith? Because it's not so much about what you have, but it's about what you will do with God's given you. And I think... In the scripture, the most important verse was actually verse 19, where Jesus says, After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Because truthfully, one day, we all will give an account for our lives. That we'll give an account for our lives, and it can be an awesome thing. It can be the statement from the five talent and the two talent to say, Hey, this is what I did. You know, this is what I did, like, this is, I had this, and maybe it wasn't as much as I wanted to or where I was going to be, but, but look, 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 Lord, look how I used it. And it can be an awesome thing, an awesome story, or it can be a story of excuses and blame and digging a hole. And that choice is up to us. The bottom line is to whom, something, to whom something is given, regardless of how great or small, something is required. And, we, and when we embrace that and we see that through a lens of a God who loves us and has gifted us, 
then we actually begin to see those opportunities everywhere. Use what you got where you're at. Will you? Regardless of whether you're five talent, two talent, one talent, half a talent, to say what is it and how could God use this here? Let's pray.